All right, we are on the last teaching topic of uh, Luke 11, as we've been going through this series called, Is Anyone Out There Looking at What Prayer Is, How We Connect with God? And as we bring this series to a close, we've been looking at these big ideas that, you know, prayer is not just this practice that we do. Something I have to do at night, at a mealtime, we have to do a couple of times in our service. It's actually a way that you and I connect with our creator, connect with the God who formed us, shaped us, who wants to have a relationship with us. It's, it's conversational in nature. It is a way that we build a relationship. Think about those that you're most close to in your life, right? Those that you, when you think about some good news or bad news comes into your life, who is the first person you want to text, pick up the phone and call or send an email, even if they're far away, it is somebody that you just think about immediately. That's what you want to let them know something's happening in your life. And that, that's the intimate relationship that we have. You know, I have family that live far away from New York that when something happens in my life, I still want to let them know what's going on. And then I have friends here in the, in the neighborhood that are, you know, across the hall, across the street, that when something good goes on, you want to talk to them and let them know. And this is the beauty of what prayer is. It is this intimate relational connection with our creator. When something happens in our life, good, bad, whatever, the, one of the first people we think to connect with is God. And that happens through prayer. And that's why I've been doing this series because, as again, it's not just a religious practice of our faith, but when we better understand the purpose and power of prayer, it becomes a vital part of our faith and our relationship with God. So again, Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to finish up today. And to give you a context, Jesus in here and also in Matthew 6 gives this picture of the model prayer, of how to pray. And he's reshaping the idea of prayer. And we looked at Matthew 6 to begin with and what Jesus said that prayer was not. And the first two things he said, the, the context that he said that was different was prayer is not a ritual and it's not a performance, right? We looked at those two things and, and his culture and his day, that's what prayer was being used as. This performance to show how much you are connected to God, how much God thought about you, not how much you thought about God. People were, were performing these prayers and then people were copying them and going performing them other places. It was like cover songs for prayers, basically. It was this performance. Or it was a ritual. I prayed this prayer, and I got an answer that I wanted, so now you go try to pray that prayer as well. And it's almost like incantations that, we would, that they were being used. And the truth is, it's, that didn't just be in Jesus' time. It's true in our time today. And this teaching of Jesus helps push back on that idea that prayer is not just this performance. If I can get enough people to pray at the right time at this time of day, then God will give me the answer that I want. And so then we looked at what prayer is. And, and in the next few weeks, uh, when we did that, we looked at this, what is the word prayer means. And the word prayer is this beautiful idea of moving into the presence of God for an advantageous purpose, right? That, that was what, that's the definition we've been using all along. This idea of moving closer to God, connecting with him in a way that helps us get an advantage. And, and not just an advantage over other people. That's not what it's about, like trying to win a race like today, but an advantageous point of view, advantageous resources in our life, how we can experience hope and peace at a greater level. And then Jesus gives us the model prayer about how to do that. 
And in the midst of that, he reminds us who we're having the conversation with, this Father in heaven whose name is hallowed. And he reminded us what we're having a conversation about, which was God's kingdom and his will, his kingdom of community and compassion and his will of seeing hope and healing. And then we looked at what it meant to remember what God has done, is doing, and will do in our life, how he dealt with our anxieties of fear, of being of what it means to forgive, to be forgiven, uh, to deal with uh, times that we feel despair in our life. And then it's a beautiful model that he gave us. And then the last few weeks, uh, two weeks ago I, I did, and then Jared last week, and we'll finish today with this last part of chapter 11 in this section where Jesus gives some ideas, some, some stories that deal with some of the fears we may have around prayer. And so it's not just what prayer isn't what it is, but now he's dealing with these, these fears that we have about prayer. And we talked at the very first one uh, about this story of this persistent neighbor. The idea of one fear we have is God even listening to me, right? Why, what do I, is God even hearing me? And the idea that as we persist in prayer, we understand more of God's character and nature and understand how to better pray and connect with him. But then last week, Jared walked us through a beautiful example of what it, the idea of fear, does, does prayer change anything? It's actually visible in our lives. And, and Jared sh- shared a very true and, and raw story in his own life about how he experienced the visible, tangible nature of God's answer to prayer, even in the midst of pain. And so it answers that question, does prayer change anything? And now we're going to look at the last part of uh, this section. We come to the last and final question that I think often comes up in our prayer lives. Not just, is God listening or does it change anything? If I actually believe those, and I think there's another question that's going to come up. Because if I get in front of God and I start sharing them what's really going on in my life, here's what's going to come up in my mind. Can I trust God in my most vulnerable moments? Can I really trust God in my most vulnerable moments? Uh, those of you who have been around a while, you know a few months ago we got two new puppies. They're almost nine months old now, uh, Chai and Coco, and they have become part of our family now. And what I love is when I walk in, or Katie or Natalie or PJ walk in, uh, when we get to the apartment, they do one thing. They come up and love us and like jump. But then as soon as I reach down, they just fall back on their bellies and like rub my belly. Like that's, they just present themselves and like, give me all your loving, like totally surrender themselves to us. And it's a very vulnerable position, right? I mean, like they, but they know and trust me enough that I'm not going to do anything to hurt them in that moment. Do you know what they don't do with other people? When we go out on the street and we see people and they reach down, they don't flop out and say, pet my belly. Like they, they're not sure whether to trust that person yet or not. And I think many of us are in a relationship with God when we're kind of maybe one foot in and one foot out of being able to trust him sometimes. Like in some things, I was like, yeah, God, you know, I'll come to church. I'll do this. I'll be vulnerable. I'll, I'll pray. I'll go to a group. But in other things, we're, we're very reserved. Still, we hold back. We're not sure we can trust God maybe with our finances, our relationships. We can't trust God in how that we're going to look at our future and, and think that he has any decision-making process in that. And so what we're going to talk about today is this power of vulnerability and understanding to trust God in the most vulnerable moments of your life. And Luke 11, 11 through 13 talks about this father uh, and, and some examples. And, and it says this. It tells us th- three things here. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for bread, 
would then give him a stone. And if he asked for a fish, would instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he wants an egg, would give him a scorpion? We, we read all this stuff and it sounds ludicrous, right? But it says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now think about this. You, you think about if your kid comes and asks you for bread, you're not going to give him a rock to eat, right? The, these examples that you use here seem very obvious to us that you wouldn't do that. But what we're going to see as we look a little deeper into this is there are times where these, these, what these examples of these were used as ways to trick people, to, to, to get behind or get around things. And these examples that Jesus has used here are making a very clear point about how you and I, in certain ways, can trust God. And, and I love it here when he says, you who are evil, right? I mean, if we read that, we're like, oh my gosh, we, I guess he's calling us evil. And what he's saying is like, you who are not God, basically. You who are not holy, perfect, you know, completely loving in all ways, you know that you wouldn't do this for your children. How much more so then is this God who is holy, just, righteous, and wants good for everything, this Father that we've been talking about, who is in heaven, who has a great view of things, who has all the resources, who is full of compassion, how much more so will he give you good things in your most vulnerable moments? So let's talk about this, and there's a key idea I want you to grasp here that the true power of prayer is not found in the one asking, but in the one answering. We often, if I can, if I can just figure out how to ask God or, or I'll do how I approach it, it's the power of prayer is not in how we ask or what we ask, it's in the one we are asking. And that's a beautiful picture that helps us open up a little bit more and become more vulnerable and trusting toward our Father. So let's talk about vulnerability for a minute. How do, how do we handle it in our vulnerable moments? First of all, what are, what are our vulnerable moments? I was thinking of my own life. Times I felt vulnerable or when vulnerability shows up, and I, I think it's kind of three areas. One is when we have a high need or a big challenge in our life, right? We feel vulnerable. Like something has been taken away. Something as, you know, something we don't understand has come into our life. I, I remember back in March of 2020, you know, when everything was shutting down, and we're, we're trying to figure out as a church what to do. There was just a vulnerability of like the unknown. What's going to happen, right? We can all go back to that time and remember that feeling of vulnerability. And then in March of 2020, all of a sudden I came down with COVID, like right at the beginning. And I remember sitting in my room, you're, you're isolated. We've all walked through this probably at some point so far. But I remember that those early days, I was, stories were coming out all the time. And I was 48 at the time. And there was a story that came out in the New York Post. I remember it says, healthy 48-year-olds died suddenly from COVID. And I'm like, all right, I'm not reading this article. <laughs> like, I'm just not going to read this to put this fear and anxiety in my mind. But I remember in those moments just feeling very vulnerable. It's like I couldn't do anything, right? A challenge, some need came into your life where you just feel very vulnerable. Other times I feel vulnerable is when I choose to or am even not by my choice, placed under authority or in an unknown situation. Maybe it's a first time on a job and you have this new boss and you just don't know how it's going to interact, what's going to happen. You feel vulnerable. You, you feel like, well, what's, you know, if I don't please them or, or do what's right by him or her, then I'm going to be fired and out the door. 
and we feel vulnerable either under new authority or under authority that we don't agree with. And we talk about elections coming up. Maybe you feel vulnerable of like what's going to happen, the uncertainty around who's going to be elected. We feel vulnerable in those moments. And then I think a third is when we feel like we're in danger, right? Our pain, our hurt, our fear. Like, how am I going to make it through this? How am I going to step through this pain, this fear, this unknown? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in a, just a financial circumstance where you feel like you are out of control and you don't see any way out. Not to make light of this, but I remember a time in my early years when I felt very vulnerable and afraid because of a relationship that had come to an end. I was dating this girl named Wendy, and we were in seventh grade, you know, very serious uh, time together. You know, people always say, you know, puppy love is, is real to the puppies. And as a seventh grader, love is real to a seventh grader. And uh, Wendy was my life. I mean, she was just it. And out of the blue, one day I get a phone call from her saying, hey, Patrick, um, you know, I don't really want to see you anymore. Appreciate your time. You know, I don't think it was even that nice. It was just like a quick breakup, like gone. And like, I remember hanging up the phone going, what just happened? Like my life just got turned upside down, right? You know, I, what am I going to do? This fear, uncertainty, this vulnerability. And at that time, there was uh, music playing on the radio, and there was this song that came on that was said. It was the, I can't remember the, who sang it, but it was a song called I Miss You by some 80s band. And so I immediately called Wendy back up. And I didn't say, when she picked up the phone, I didn't say anything. I just put the phone up to the receiver. <laughs> And let it play. I miss you. You know, I'm in tears. It's just vulnerable moment, right? I'm vulnerable right now, sharing this with you. But we we feel this. Think about it in your life times when you have just felt, you know, oh, if somebody catches me in this situation or something, something tips the scales just a little bit. I'm sunk. I'm out. And what I want is what what Jesus <coughs> attacks here is the idea that we can't trust God in those vulnerable moments because we can we can so let's let's look at at how we handle it how, what jesus says here in your vulnerable moments. so the the first example he uses is this idea of stone and bread right he said what father among you if he if your child asked for bread would give you a stone now what this meant here is oftentimes when people would bake in those times they would bake bread and sell it at the market and they would sell it based on weight and so people would Cheats would basically come and in the bottom or in spread throughout the bread, they would put a stone here or there that kind of looked like bread. So when you would weigh it, you're actually overpaying for the bread and you're not getting what you paid for. And so people knew that. People knew that was a way people cheated. I don't know if you saw the news not too long ago in sporting event, but this fishing contest, uh, some people got caught cheating by, they caught a fish and then they stuffed the weights down into the fish so when they weighed it and they were like you know everybody caught him and they there's they go look on youtube they cut this fish open these weights come out everybody's like screaming yelling that's what was happening here this is an example that people would see at the market on a regular basis they would understand and so what jesus is telling us here is this in our vulnerable vulnerable moments god will not trick you god's not going to trick you he's not going to lead you down one path and tell you something's there and then all of a sudden catch you off guard and trick you. We do not serve a God who's out to trick us, who's out to get us, who's just waiting for that right moment to say, ha ha, I got you. Now you're in a corner. And this is what Jesus is saying as we pray, and I'm challenging you to be vulnerable. One of your fears is, well, if I'm vulnerable, God, God's going to trick me. He's going to cheat me. 
Jesus is reminding you, this is not the guy at the market who stuffs his basket with stones so he gets paid more and cheats you. This is not that kind of God. Then he, he uses another example of serpent and a fish. If your child asks for a fish, would you give him a serpent? And this one is almost like you order, you go to a restaurant and you order a nice Wagyu beef, right? I mean, high, high cut of beef. And the price on there is, you know, $90 an ounce or whatever it is. I mean, it is a lot. And you get like three ounces of it. It looks like butter. It's, you know, but when you order that, instead of actually bringing out Wagyu beef, for the same price, they bring you out just USDA chuck roast and say, no, this is Wagyu. It looks similar enough. And that's what would happen. People would say, uh, you know, they would run out maybe a fish uh, or whatever. Instead of having going and buying more fish, they would they'd get the leftover, the, the eels, the serpents that were caught in the sea, and they would serve those along with the fish. It was like filler meat, basically. McDonald's burgers, you know, is kind of what you're talking about here. And what, what we're seeing here, Jesus is telling, in our most vulnerable moments, God is not going to take advantage of you. God's not going to take advantage of you. He's not going to see what he can slip by you. He's not tricking you, but he's also not going to take advantage of you and not give you what you deserve and what he wants for you. When he says, I want goodness for you, he's going to give you goodness. Not, not partial goodness, not just a little bit. When he says, I will forgive you, it's not just something like forgiveness. It is forgiveness. It's the real thing. What a beautiful example here of understanding that God is not going to take advantage of us. And then in the, in the third one, he says, what among you, what father among you, child who asks for an egg would give them a scorpion? And, and this is the idea that even in those, the scorpions in that area are kind of white. And even when you cut them open, they kind of yellow in the middle. It looks like an egg. It looks like an egg. But an egg that somebody gives you is for a purpose to eat. But if somebody gave you a scorpion instead, it would what, bring you harm. And this is what it's telling us. God, in your most vulnerable moments, is not going to harm you. He's not going to harm you. What he has for you in those moments where he see you in the deepest need, he's going to come and bring you help, not harm. What a beautiful picture in just these three statements. In your most vulnerable moments. Remember, God's not going to trick you. He's not going to take advantage of you, and he's not going to harm you. And I'll be honest, there are times in my life where I, where I worry about that. I worry about it with people. If I'm vulnerable with this person, my, if I'm vulnerable with my wife, maybe she's going to take it a different way and now hold that over me. Or if I'm vulnerable in this relationship, they're going to use it against me and take advantage of me. Or if I'm vulnerable with God, even like he knows he's going to know he's all powerful. All this kind of, he's going to paint me into a corner and cause me to feel certain ways about myself or not. He's going to punish me in ways I don't want to experience. So we, we stop being vulnerable. We close off. And instead, what I want you to hear and what Jesus says, this father who is better than any of you, this father who is good and gracious, he's not going to do that. As a matter of fact, he's going to give you. And instead, in your most vulnerable moments, instead, God is, is going to pro provide aid for you. God will provide aid for you. In my notes, it says will not. Good. Up there, it does not. He will provide aid for you. And what is that aid? It says here that the he will give the Spirit of God to any who ask. It's yours for the asking. And I love this because what he, what he says here is this. Most of us pray prayers looking for answers, right? So I'm sick, 
make me better. I lost a job, give me a new one. My, you know, Wendy broke up with me, give me a new girlfriend. You know, we have all of these things that we just want the answer for. We talked, I talked about it in my life a couple weeks ago. I lost my voice, fix my voice. Jared talked about, you know, we had a miscarriage, give us a baby. It is like, but that's what we want is the answer. And I love that Jesus here doesn't just say he's going to give you your answer. He says he will give you the spirit of God. That's more than an answer. That's what Jared talked about last week. That's all of him. That's access to everything he has. It's keys to the kingdom. You know, it'd be like who, if somebody wins the whatever the close to be $2 billion jackpot coming up, the lottery, it'd be like them walking up and saying, all right, great, hey, I appreciate it, but it's yours. It's all yours. Welcome. This is what God does. He gives it all to us. He gives us the Spirit of God. And so what is the Spirit of God? It's nice to read about it and think about it and go, okay, great, does that mean just I've got Casper on my shoulder over here telling me good things to do and the devil on my shoulder over here telling me bad things to do? No. Spirit of God is a gift, and it gives us things. And the first thing it gives us is this. The Spirit of God is the presence of God continually dwelling with you. It's a beautiful thought. You always have God with you. God's not, you know, if you watch, like, wrestling or something, he's not waiting in your corner, in the corner to be tagged even, to jump in the ring to help you. He's already in the ring with you. His presence is with you all the time. Whenever you need it, whenever you feel despair or hopelessness, it is there. The Spirit of God does not depart from us. It's a beautiful promise. But it's not just his presence then. It is the provision of God completely available to you. The cupboard is open. Like I said, whatever you need. We often, Katie will come home and she'll be like, hey, I'd love to, let's make some cookies tonight or whatever. And you know, we'll open up our cupboard and the pantry. Like most of you guys, we don't keep a lot of food in the house. And so if we're going to bake something, we often have to go and down to the store, down to Urban Market and pick something up to get what we want. And we've jokingly started to refer to Urban Market, which is across the street from our apartment, as our pantry. Like we just don't keep it here. It's just there. And it's the same kind of idea with God. Whatever you need, it's there. He's your, he's your pantry for whatever need you have to be able to prepare something to deal with what's going on in your life. It is there. You may, you may think, oh, I, I'm missing this ingredient. And maybe you are missing hope or peace in that moment. But guess what? It is there. His provision is ready. It doesn't run out. You're not going to go to the store and not be there. But the third thing is, what is the Spirit of God? It is then, if that's all true, His presence and His provision, then it is the fruit of God flourishing in your life things start to happen. The fruits of the Spirit, right, that, that we've studied before. Patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, love, joy, hope. All of these things start to come to fruit in your life. You start to experience these things. It's not like you just got to keep going back to get more ingredients. Now you are producing things. You're, the, the hope in your life is pouring hope into other people's lives. It's a beautiful picture of fruit beginning to flourish in your life. And then finally, to me, the Spirit of God is, is this. It is then the friendship of God finding root in your life. That you actually become deeply, intimately connected with your Father. Back in the Old Testament, the story of, of Moses, 
when Moses would meet with God, they would often go, they had created what was called a tent of meeting. And, and at the time when, when Moses would go from the Israelite people when there was a need or whatever they were dealing with, they would walk into the tent, Moses would walk into the tent of meeting and there would be a cloud that would descend upon the tent of meeting as the presence and spirit of God that would meet with Moses. And I love this passage. This passage out of Exodus has been one of my favorite for years. It says this in Exodus 33, 11. It said, then the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. This is what we're talking about here. This final aspect of the spirit of God is is when this friendship with God starts to find root in our life is that we start to have conversations with God as if we are friends. We talked about earlier, when you get good news, he's the first one you call, text, connect with. And it brings us to this beautiful idea, this key idea, that the God we pray to is a faithful friend. He is a faithful friend. Not going to take advantage of us, hurt us, or cheat us. Not out to get you, harm you. He's there to aid you, to bring fruit in your life, to get you what you need so you can produce beautiful fruit in your life and to grow in a deep friendship with him. The God we pray to is a faithful friend, which brings me to our question of the day. What's keeping me from praying to this faithful friend? Why don't I? I, as we've gone through this series, it's, it's challenged me in my prayer life to, to set aside just some practices that I've had and to, to change my perspective on prayer and to realize there were things I wasn't praying about, things I wasn't willing. I wasn't maybe vulnerable enough to God. And it, it's made me ask every day I've kind of built into my mindset as I get ready in the morning and have prayer time and maybe whenever you do this and, and maybe this is just a practice you could start I started asking myself three questions out of this series. This is what I, it's helped me come up with why I am not praying to this faithful friend. And the first question is, is this, what have I diminished about God, right? Have I forgotten that he's a father? He's a parent and provider? Have I forgotten that he is in heaven and he has wisdom and knowledge greater than me? And have I forgot that his name is hallowed, that he is holy and unique. And I start my day by asking that. Have I diminished something about God in my life? Do I, am I not trusting him to be that father in heaven whose name is hallowed? And if, I, if I'm diminished him, guess what? I'm not going to want to pray to him. I'll, I'll go to something else first or go to myself. But then I ask, second thing is, is what am I then, how am I demanding something? What have I demanded Because what we're supposed to pray is like his kingdom of community and compassion and his will of hope and healing. And maybe I'm not wanting those things in my life right now. I'm demanding something else. I'm demanding that God do something for me or to do bring judgment into somebody else's life. And I'm demanding something. And when I demand something and God doesn't meet my demands, I pull back. I'm not willing to pray to this faithful friend. Then the third (coughs) question. question I ask the third question I ask is this where am I feeling defeated in my life remember we talked about these doubt is there doubt that I can actually be forgiven for what I've done am I angry so angry that I can't forgive somebody my fear that I'm going to fail and the temptation that's coming at me just is going to overwhelm me or is there a despairing view in my life that I don't believe that I can be delivered from evil where am I defeated in my life And I've learned as I look at these questions and I 
challenge myself to think, where am I diminishing God? What am I demanding of God? And where do I feel defeated? When I can identify those areas and clear those up, then the desire, the hope, and the pathway to connect with this faithful friend becomes clear, and I can walk in and be vulnerable. I can throw myself in front of him, present myself to him, and want him to rub my belly just like my puppies do. I can be authentic, honest, true. I can bear my soul because I know he is faithful. Bow your head and close your eyes with me. In the quietness of this moment, maybe just think about what it's like to be vulnerable before somebody. Maybe it's been a while since you have been. Maybe you're the expert of keeping the guard up, keeping people at distance, even those closest to you wouldn't consider you vulnerable. But the provision of God, the promises of God, the presence of God, that all is multiplied in our vulnerability and our ability to trust him and know that he's not out to get us or trick us or harm us, hurt us. But remember that the power of prayer is in our faithful God, this God who is faithful above all else. In the midst of this moment right now, would you be willing to take a step in the journey of praying to this faithful friend, this faithful friend of God. Father, it is with joy that we get to come before you. And God, as we come as your children, as we come as your servants, God, we also get to come to you as a friend. We get to laugh together, cry together. We get to share moments together. We get to build memories together. Knowing that in all of those, our deepest failures, our hurts, our anxieties that pull us down, and God, in those moments of triumph where we just want to have somebody to share the joys of life with, you are there. A faithful friend who never goes away is always ready to have fun with us, to cry with us, to love us, nurture us, grow us, encourage us. God, allow prayer to become this beautiful tool of intimacy with you as our faithful friend and father.